Hey, 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 Bessie, how are you? I'm, I'm doing good. I'm doing well. How are you? Good, good, good. Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. Obviously excited to record uh, episode two of season two yeah, of the, yeah. the T-Burn pod. Um, but yeah, hope you've had a good week. <clears throat> what have you been up to? Um, I went with friends to watch uh, Wakanda Forever. So I, I quite enjoyed that movie. Uh, we actually got into a heated debate about um, whether it's better than The Woman King. Some of okay, us one. okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. That, that's, that's, um, that's an interesting one because, um, yeah, I, I've, I went to see, uh, I've seen Wakanda Forever as well. Basically, one of my, one of my friends, um, she's like a film fanatic, like anything to do with cinema, she's on it. And so the first time around, like she literally organized a mass sort of like viewing, which had like, a, there must've been over a hundred of us. And so she repeated it this time as well. But afterwards we had like debates as well. Like, is it better? Is it good? X, yeah. Y, and Z. I'm not sure if I say my view here, cause it might, you know, people might <laughs> criticize me, but it's- it was like, it was quite a difficult choice to make. I quite loved both of them, to be honest. I think it's not a fair... I don't know. I quite I loved Wakanda Forever, but I also loved The Woman King. It was just really great. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I hear that. I definitely hear that. I mean, Tifa, let me not give any spoilers to anyone who may not have seen it, although you probably should have seen it by now, but you might have judged. I would definitely um, recommend both, yeah. yeah Go yeah. and watch it. And, and have your own debates, for sure, for sure, for sure. Um, but we two here are going to have our own debate or slash discussion. Um, so the previous episode, we discussed, again, the key theme for this season, which is um, the cost of living crisis. So Betty and I basically just sort of discussed, you know, how did we get here? How did we get to this point where inflation seems to be on everyone's lips? How did we get to this point where, you know, the cost of living seems to be, you know, um, on every sort of news platform? Um so we, we we spoke on that, but I think today what we're trying to do is hopefully just, you know, speak about how are we or how are institutions or governments or economies generally meant to respond to this sort of like period of of high inflation. Um, and I think if we were to sort of like take a step back, so when you think about, I don't know, um, A-level economics, I'm conscious not only economists listen here, so it's good to sort of set the scene. Um, I always remember the sort of like, you know, um, various diagrams, aggregate demand and aggregate supply and long-run aggregate supply and stuff like that. And you often have to think about, okay, if you're in a period where, you know, you're at the economy's at full capacity and inflation is high, you know, should you try and maybe stimulate growth or what sort of policies should you put in place and how will those policies shift aggregate demand or aggregate supply and what would be the impact on, um, you know, output or inflation? And the two main tools you'd often be told about are, you know, fiscal policy and monetary policy. Um, so fiscal policy essentially referring to sort of like government, you know, tax policies or government spending policies. Should government increase taxes or reduce them? Should they increase spending or reduce spending? And monetary policy referring to the work of, you know, uh, typically a central bank um, when it comes to, you know, how they would use interest rates or influence the monetary supply or quantitative easing. Um, and those sort of things can sort of shift the economy in any way you would sort of go. I'm sure you you can remember all of that, Betty. Um, 
Yeah, and and we've basically seen uh, both types of levers, both monetary policy responses and fiscal policy response as well. Um, so it was quite interesting few weeks, uh, I guess. Yeah, not exactly. And so I guess what I'm hoping we can discuss is, I guess, over the past sort of month, we've seen, as you mentioned, we've seen uh, the Bank of England, the UK Central Bank, you know, change um, interest rates in the economy in order to influence the economy. And we'll get into that shortly. But we've also seen the government and we've also seen, you know, autumn statement and, you know, various policies, again, to sort of, you know, influence um the economy so i guess to sort of start off probably more briefly on monetary policy because i guess there might be a bit more to say on the government side but um but yeah so typically you know one thing that you know i remember my sort of like a-level teachers teaching me is basically you say expansionary monetary policy um is basically meant to stimulate the economy for example, reducing interest rates um, lower and lower uh, reduces the cost of borrowing. So therefore, it may influence households and businesses to borrow more and ultimately to spend money in the economy, hopefully stimulating, you know, you know, improving, so boosting demand and stimulating economic growth. Um, on the other hand, contractionary monetary policy is you know increasing you know interest rates in the hope that it would ultimately you know sort of like maybe just dampen um you know consumer spending and dampen the economy in case the economy for example was overheating um so why right now is interesting is because we're in a time where we have super high inflation inflation over uh 10 percent and the bank of england target is two percent and what we're seeing here is the Bank of England. So in November, uh, so early November, they increased interest rates from 2.25% to, to 3%, basically. Uh, so that would come under the, the umbrella, as I mentioned before, of, you know, contraction, you're trying to dampen the economy and ultimately bring inflation down from, say, 10% or so lower. Now, <clears throat> the interesting thing there is that we said we're in like a cost of living crisis. And so in this cost of living crisis, we're going to high inflation, people perhaps may be struggling to, you know, buy their basic, you know, basket of goods because prices mm. are so high. But the impact of increasing interest rates, um, which has been publicized in various news outlets and the Bank of England's November monetary policy report also highlighted this is that you know um things that are perhaps linked to the bank of england base rate will also go up so for example how much you need to pay back on loans or how much you have to pay back on your mortgage for instance um so there's been a lot of media coverage about you know mortgage payments are going to go up by x you know 100 pounds a year how can this happen in a time where you know there's a cost of living crisis going to increase costs further. Um, so that's been really interesting to to sort of like so, um, to hear and and to view because on the one hand the mandate is to get inflation down, but on the other hand you have to think about the impact on your typical sort of like household. So yeah, monetary policy has been making the headlines, but even though that has been interesting, it probably hasn't been. Um, making their headlines as much as what's been going on in the government um, with regards to, you know, 
not only the autumn statement, but before that with, you know, the mini budget as well. Um, so I wanted to ask you that, like, what, what were your thoughts on, for example, you know, the autumn statement recently? There's a debate about monetary mm -hmm. policy and whether it's helping the problem of high inflation or, or exacerbating issues in regards to maybe households and, you know, their costs. Um, how do you feel the policies announced within the autumn statement are sort of affecting things in the sort of cost of living crisis? I mean, that's a good question. So um, I think the autumn statement kind of like covered a lot of issues um, and uh, a good way of thinking about it is like separating it maybe into two categories. So on the one hand, the government announced, uh, you know, support for families and public services, which obviously is uh, positive um, uh, measures. But on the other hand, there was also like planned cuts that will take place from 2025 onwards. Um, and I think there were some positive measures, I would, I would say. But I think the problem was that many economists and researchers have said that they just don't go far enough to address the cost of living crisis. Um, yeah, especially for those on low income, uh, people on low income. So on that note, quickly, uh, it's interesting you frame it as well as some maybe the positive measures, because mm. I guess there are multiple vantage points in terms of what would be a good policy and what would be a bad policy, positive or negative. Um, so what would you say are perhaps some of the more positive policies and why would you say they're positive? Well, so, for example, they announced an increase in minimum wage by 9.7% um, in, in 2023. And that's positive because people right now are unable to, um, you know, like meet the cost of essentials like food or household bills. The issue, though, is that obviously raising minimum wage by 9.7% is not enough because uh, it's, it's not it's still below the rate of inflation. Um, and so you'll still have people who are still will be worse off next year. Uh, you know, some of the analysis have shown that there will still be millions of people, despite the increase in minimum wage, who will still be unable to meet the cost of living uh, crisis. So it just doesn't go um, like far enough. Um, I think another positive measure was that, you know, for the first time in quite a long time, the government announced that they will increase um the benefit rate in line with inflation. Um, and that's that's really great for lots of um, low-income households. However, because of the cuts that the benefit system has uh, been going through over the last decade, mm. even, even with this increase in, in line with inflation, it will still be uh, one of the you know, lowest rate in real terms for 40 years. So again, it doesn't actually address the real the scale of the problem. Um, same with public services. So the government announced that there will be uh, extra funding for health, social care, education in 2023 uh, and 2024. But people have said it doesn't go far enough. It doesn't address the long term problems that you know the public services in the UK uh, are experiencing, like low retention of staff, low recruitment huge backlog in you know health um serv healthcare services so it really it's this there were loads of positive measures that they just don't address the scale of the issue 
Okay. And so, no, that, that's a, that's helpful. And I think it's interesting because it sort of really paints a picture of perhaps, you know, um, the various sort of like targets and the various sort of things that need to be met within the yeah. government. Um, so on the one hand, you want to see, you know, policies that help those who are, about are, most, are, are most needy in society. Um, and so therefore you want to see, you know, a robust, you know, welfare system. But on the other hand, um, and I guess this is perhaps what is more evident in, you know, some of the fiscal rules, you want to spend in such a way that is seen as responsible. Yeah. Um, and I, and the reason I highlight that is because, you know, as you alluded to at the start, we are seeing, you know, as you said, you know, increased spending in certain areas, um, particularly with those who are likely to be hit hardest in regards to the cost of living crisis. But on the other hand we have seen a lot of policies that perhaps are you know um tax thresholds perhaps maybe increasing or certain tax rates are you know going up and so for that reason um you can see on the one hand they're trying to spend to alleviate the impact of inflation but on the other hand they're trying to sort of recoup as much um, tax revenue as possible to ensure that you know um the public finances are you know uh, yeah uh I, what's the word that you know that the public finance balance is, the books basically yeah, yeah. Exactly. balance the books um, yeah and, and I guess I think uh generally speaking that's that's what a government should do uh trying to balance the books and stabilize the economy ensure the economy is growing um but I think particularly in terms of the planned cuts that are going to be taking place in 2025 onwards um what what we're seeing is that because we're now in in a recession the response the i mean some some people might disagree but i i, I think the res- the correct response uh to you know ensuring that the, there is growth should not be uh by going ahead with another round of another wave of austerity um so, yeah yeah well, but I think I'm sure there are others who might disagree with that but I think yeah I don't know what do you think you know what it's interesting you mentioned growth because that was sort of like the slogan from like you know Lisk Trust Kwasi Kwarteng mini budget essentially and so what you have there is that you know they were really just trying to stress um the fact that growth in the UK economic growth in the UK was just way 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 too low productivity was uh, just awful and you know we need to stimulate things because as you highlighted people were sort of whispering about are we in a recession already or is one coming essentially and again in, in the bank of england's november monetary policy report they basically forecast that the uk is going to enter a, a two-year uh, long uh, recession essentially so the outlook has been quite bleak um but I guess, you know, beforehand, you know, they tried to almost avert that and say you would, you couldn't have to enter into a recession. And so what they did, you know, they proposed to cut, you know, the basic rate of, of um, income tax. They wanted to um, abolish the, I think it was the higher rate as well. Um, they wanted to cancel the rising corporation tax. They, you know... Um, I guess in terms of like energy prices, you know, they wanted to sort of cap um, 
what energy prices would go up into to help households there they wanted to you know make changes to ir35 in terms of you know how um contractors would be getting paid those so many policies that were basically aimed at trying to stimulate growth in the economy but you know we saw that sent markets into a frenzy mm-hmm. um and you know it was like people talk about this is like we're seeing movements here on a similar scale to what was happening in the financial crisis um because a lot of these policies were seen as you know unfunded uh tax cuts essentially so i guess it's like on the one hand you saw the sort of response to the mini budget in the coverage was quite negative in terms of the fact that well Liz Trust and Kwate Kwateng soon lost their jobs, yeah. which I think speaks volumes. So how do you balance that? How do you sort of like say we want to pursue growth in this economy, mm-hmm. but at the very same time realizing that you can't do so in a sort of like a fiscally irresponsible way? Otherwise, you might lose your job and markets might go crazy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think from my opinion that the reason um it didn't work out with the mini budget is like you said they were announcing tax cuts for the richest um, and also borrowing money uh, and it was completely uncosted. And, and, and so the market didn't feel reassured that they would be able to pay it back. Um, and, I, and I think that was right. I, I don't think like, what is irresponsible thing to do is to actually um, have an un, uh, uncosted tax cuts. Um, in terms of what the autumn statement, the, the recent one, um, the plan cuts that might happen uh, 2025 onwards, uh, I still think that would still undermine the economy. Uh, I, I, I still think, even though it's not um, as, I think, as extensive um, as the last decade of cuts. But I really, I, I still think um, it would damage the economy and undermine the economy if you are in a recession, what the government needs to do, um, in my opinion, is to actually kickstart the economy. So invest more in people's wages, in public services, create more jobs, to stimulate the economy, inject more money into the economy so that the economy grows uh, and it grows properly. So that you know the living standards alongside it also uh, improves. Um, however, you know, relying on further cutting public services, public spending, local authority spending is just not going to actually make the economy grow. And we've seen that, I think. The evidence has shown in the last, I mean, since the financial crisis in 2008, like drastic austerity has led to um, low wages for public sector workers. It's led to increasing waiting time for accessing healthcare high cost of uh, housing, increased homelessness. So it doesn't, you know, overcrowded schools. It, and that results in, you know, worsening health inequality, low productivity and long-term issues for the economy. Um, so I'm not, yeah. Balancing the books should include investing for the future. So borrowing now sensibly and investing for the future to ensure that the economy has strong foundations. Mm. And I think, and so again, definitely valid points there. But I think your answer really highlights just the sheer, the plethora of issues facing the UK economy right now. Because absolutely, you know, people want to see 
um, wages rising in you know in a way that obviously means people are not worse off in real terms. That is, you know, mm. inflation isn't rising at a faster pace than their wages rising. Um, you want people want to see jobs created sustainably. People want to see growth. <laughs> at the very same time, I think your answer touches on a range of shocks the UK economy has faced. For example, with you know Brexit and also COVID. Yeah. Um, and I think these things are noteworthy because especially when you think of the impact of say COVID um, the reason that sort of affected things particularly in regard to the labor market was just purely the fact that you know um, post-COVID we see a lot of people slowly but surely becoming you know inactive then they're, they're no longer participating in the in the labor labor force and you know part of the reason of that has been attributed some have said you know long-term sickness is is a reason for that um and um, amongst a range of things um but also you know you have to take the impact of that in regards to the the tight uh um to the tight labor force and also not forget the impact of Brexit as well. Now, this is going to probably need that ten percent in and of itself, um, but I think the impact of Brexit on the UK economy cannot be underestimated as well, um, because if you're thinking that you know COVID has an impact on the labour labour force, active participants in the labour market reducing that, um, but also you think of Brexit and perhaps the implications of that for you know um, net migration and, and workers and stuff like that. Or, you know, um, well, yeah, let's keep on the migration part. I don't want to go into too many issues. Mm. Um, already there, you, you can see why perhaps, you know, people are are, are struggling to fill in um, certain jobs. People are going to have to, you know, pay people more to, to get them in. But, but even with that happening, it's still not enough for a lot of people. They're not getting a sufficient pay package that's even in line with the rate of inflation, um, which leads to another issue, which is obviously if everyone now gives people a 10% pay rise to match the rise in inflation, you know, um, what happens to the inflation rate? Because if we think of the theory of the wage price spiral now, everyone's salaries go up by 10%. Businesses, oh, everyone's got 10% money. Let's increase our costs by this much as well to make up for how much I have to pay. And so we think, you know, it could, it could potentially be a sort of, what's the word? Um, it could continue in perpetuity, essentially. Mm-hmm. So how do we, how do we, I'm talking to you like you're, you're <laughs> the prime minister, <laughs> but I guess it's it's interesting because there's so many vantage points, so many angles we can come at this uh, this argument, uh, come at these issues, but um, without trying to take too many things into consideration at one time, how does one get a balance of trying to target inflation and get inflation down to a low and yeah. stable um, rate? but also ensuring that perhaps workers are remunerated um, in a way that means they're not losing out in real terms without further stoking, you know, uh, yeah. inflation. I mean, it's not it's not an easy solution. Like you said, there's so many factors complicating the issue. Um, and I, I, I read somewhere that there's around 9 million people who are out of work currently and are not looking yeah. for work. Yeah. Um, and, and and one of the or some of the key barriers to that, as he suggested, was you know a lot of these people are on long term sickness, mm-hmm. and ensuring that you have a functioning healthcare 
is one of the key things to do to ensure that people's health improves. Uh, another driver for why women, for why people are out of work is also because a lot of uh, women who care for children and care for the elderly mm-hmm. don't have support to actually, uh, you know, go back into employment. So ensuring that there's investment for public services like uh, social care and childcare would, you know, solve some of this issue or some of this barrier. So you can't, in order to have a functioning economy and growth, you have to, you know, you have to invest in public services. Uh, And that would obviously then, you know, resolve the wider issues of high inflation and things like that as well, Um, presumably, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess you'd hope so for sure. I think um, I remember when I was sort of like in, um, again, back in A-level sort of time in, in, in sixth form, and you ha- again, you have the aggregate demand, the aggregate supply yeah. diagram, you're in equilibrium, um, or until you're close to your productive potential, and you want to stimulate the economy, but you you realise that because the aggregate demand is is vertical, if you increase output, it'll just lead to higher inflation. So you're like, oh, what do we do? What's the solution? Yeah. And then my teacher would sort of like smirk and say, oh, you've got to shift out aggregate supply. You've got to invest in the supply side, shift that out, you get lower inflation, but increase output. And I was like, mind blown. So it's so simple. <laughs> just increase aggregate supply. But, you know, here we are. Um, <laughs> here we are in a, in a period where, um, in theory, it seems easy to sort of like invest in you know the supply side of things, so trying to make you know productivity gains and trying to invest in perhaps you know your human capital, you know education, all those sort of things. Um, but it's it's easier said uh, than done. Um, yeah, hundred percent. Why you know people have termed it you know the UK productivity puzzle. Mm. Why the UK is lagging behind other countries in regards to productivity but also like in terms of like post covid growth the uk is lagging behind a lot of other economies um so g7 economies for example which is why you know the the, the weak uk growth has been attributed to the brexit which is again one thing that's affected the uk specifically yeah. but not so much other um other european countries um <clears throat> So I guess sort of like with all these things in mind, you know, I mean, we'll it again, it's again a pretty bleak picture in terms of um, cost of living, um, various policies being introduced that um, to, to one extent, you know, does attempt to sort of like um, to help people uh in terms of you know those most affected by the cost of living crisis but can be out doesn't go quite far enough but in addition to that um giving them government to be fiscally responsible trying to consolidate you know in future years which may mean spending in public services isn't uh, as large as it ought to be with all with all these things in mind i guess obviously tba and the black economist network you know definitely want to sort of think about um the perspective impact of these policies, uh, higher interest rates, higher mortgage repayments, um, higher cost of borrowing, um, uh, the policy package. You want to think about, you know, the perspective impact of these policy measures on the black community. And and one of the things we highlighted uh, previously was that, you know, 
from the stats we have available to us, and it's not much, but from what we do have available, it, it isn't great reading when you think of, you know, the proportion or, you know, whether it's it's cut up by, you know, BAME, um, yeah. like Asian and minority ethnic people or black people, black African, black Caribbean people. They often tend to be, you know, toward the bottom of, you know, in income deciles or, you know, wealth deciles in terms of, you know, uh, the portion of wealth uh, and income in those communities. So I guess just to sort of like maybe frame this question in a different way is that, you know, what can these communities do in sort of like times like this uh, to respond to the, the cost of living crisis? You know, I have people saying to me that, oh, we need to set up our own like banks and we uh, mm-hmm. distribute all income and wealth and all that sort of stuff. Um, but I don't know if you have any thoughts in terms of, I don't know, the things that the community can do to respond to sort of like cost of living crisis i mean it that like obviously is quite a, a difficult uh question to answer like what can people do on an individual level um like i'm sure people are, are trying their best to you know save more and cut back and um and like i, I mean i was reading uh the people on the lowest income like the people on low income uh, the ones who are, despite doing everything that they can, are, are still feeling the pain and, and still struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I don't know. I think the the response is a, is a political response. Uh, so like, like you said, according to the ONS, the highest percentage for household in low income uh, were first like Asian households. And then uh, this is before housing costs. And then uh, after that is black households. Mm-hmm. um and yeah so in the, in terms of what can be done on an individual level i don't want to sound like quite bleak but uh other than trying to save up and cutting back i, I like and people are already doing that and, and mm-hmm. it's still it's still not going to be enough um i know like a lot of people um you know from uh lower income are planning uh strikes or like that's coming up i think and um asking for higher wage i mean i don't know to what extent um the government will respond positively to that uh but that is some type of uh response some people are taking like some um yeah i don't know what do you think yeah no no i i definitely hear that and i think it's um you're right in the sense that you know we tend to speak of these things in an aggregate level in terms of you know our GDP is falling you know that's you know gross domestic product is falling in economy unemployment is going up inflation is going up but at an individual level obviously it's affecting people's lives so as you highlighted it's quite bleak and hence why in regards to the the um the the question no, absolutely I think you hit the nail on the head that you know when it comes to uh the most impact in terms of a number of households you know government policy as we've been discussing has the the biggest scope to in- improve outcomes yeah. for you know 
the largest number of people um, because again all we can do for example is okay okay i'm gonna cut off netflix you know i'm gonna cut back on you know i must take away that i do all that sort of stuff but like you said some people cut back as much as they can and um you know it's like okay what more can i cut back on without you know starving myself so again it's a, a very sad sort of sad question to, to sort of try to tackle mm-hmm. so i appreciate the context is not an easy one to to get into um what provoked the question well, actually that question just someone asked me they literally said to me you know what can the black community sort of do in this sort of time or how can we sort of like come together to support one another um and it's sort of like really just sort of got me thinking, okay, like what what can we do? Because um, there are, you know, perhaps, you know, various initiatives and community endeavors. Uh, I know there's one in particular and the name will escape me now, which is not great, but it'll come back to me at some point, hopefully before we finish, um, which obviously people make sort of monthly contributions to and they use that money perhaps to distribute it to um, communities you know, in various African countries to help them with maybe school resources and stuff like that. Um, and of course, you know, um, that's a, a wonderful initiative to help maybe poverty-stricken areas in various sort of like you know uh, countries you know in uh, in Africa. But I think similar initiatives you know can be you know put together on a more like domestic you know level because yeah. of course you know poverty is relative. You know, yeah, I might be struggling to make ends meet, but you know, there's always someone who's going through much more having to sacrifice much more but um when we do hear of that um community struggling um it's always um good when you know there's initiatives that are being put together whether it pertains to you know uh, food banks people collating money together and buying things and giving it to the most needful in their in the local area so um so yeah so that's what comes to mind for me as an initiative that I think can be helpful in a time where perhaps you know mm. essentials such as food and energy um our prices are rising at a rapid rate which means that you know people might not be able to make ends meet um but I don't pretend to be a founding of knowledge. I'm sure you don't either. <laughs> so what I would love is obviously for our, our listeners who may know our community initiatives and things of that nature, just to hit us up, you know, whether it's on social media, hashtag TBNPod, you know, just really just bringing our ideas together so that obviously in this period, um, those who are really not able to sort of like receive the help that they do need, because obviously that's the power of community. And what we hope to do as TBEN is ultimately to, you know, just to foster that uh, camaraderie amongst, you know, the black community, uh, not only where we're based in London, but all over the world. Uh, so hopefully that can be a small positive note we can end up on as yeah. opposed to the... Power of community. Yeah, yeah. I like it oh wonderful but um but betty um thank you for your contributions that's uh, been real um and yeah institutions uh, can respond to the uh, cost of living crisis but communities can also come together to respond to it as well um so yeah do get in touch with us to let us know what things are available but also get in touch with us as to topics you also want us to cover going forward we'd love to chop up with you guys um, on that note um, it's, been, it's been good uh, hopefully we'll catch you guys again soon All right. take care everyone <laughs>